0: Uh, oh, Usagi, uh, what is that sound?
1: Did you know that a groundhog is also called a whistle pig?
2: But then I started to get just a little bit nervous. It's time for The Appleseed, filled with stories
3: for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host, and it's always my pleasure to bring you these stories and have you bring them into your home and into your heart. Now, if you love to laugh, garden, listen to music, or just have a good time. You're going to love today's episode of The Appleseed. We've got stories like The Man Who Could Make the Trees Blossom, a story told by Alton Chung about a trickster causing trouble for a sweet old couple in Japan. And we got a story called Buck Ain't No Ordinary Dog by the great tall tale teller Bill Lep, a story that is as hilarious as it is unbelievable. We're going to hear from Tim Lowry with a story called The Green Gourd, a silly adventure that involves all kinds of characters you might recognize from some of your favorite childhood tales. And we're going to finish things off with a little song called So Long It's Been Good to Know Ya, a classic performed by the storyteller and musician Willie Claflin. That's going to be the hour, and we're going to begin with The Man Who Could Make the Trees Blossom. It's a story from Japan about a lovely old couple who enjoyed living on their farm in the shadow of the mountains, but perfection never lasts forever, and trouble comes when a sneaky badger begins causing havoc all over the farm. But in the end, the old couple will have made a few new and wonderful friends. This is from Alton Chung, and it's called again The Man Who Could Make the Trees Blossom. Awesome. We'll kick the hour off with this tale.
4: A long time ago in Japan, in a story that is older than the pine needles in a tree, there once was an old couple who lived in a farm at the base of a tall mountain near the sea. There was an old man, Ji Chan, grandfather, and his wife, Obachan. Grandmother, oh, they were happy on their farm in the shadow of that mountain. They loved the way the birds would sing them awake each morning, and how the gentle breezes would whisper through the pine trees and fill their house with their sweet scent, and how Amaterasu, the compassionate goddess of the sun, would paint the sky with delicate shades of scarlet, tangerine, and persimmon before she slipped beneath the waves of the eastern sea. They were happy and content, until one day a mischievous tanuki, a badger, began to cause trouble on their farm. This tanuki would dig up their vegetable garden and then wipe his paws on their drying laundry. He would steal the eggs the chickens had laid, and sometimes he would even steal the chickens. Uh, One day Jichan, grandfather, had had enough. Uh,
0: tanuki, Tanuki, huh? I am going to set a trap for you right here by the chicken coop. Ah, uh, I'll put some rice in there and then open the door, and when you come in the cage ah, to get the rice, ah, I will catch you, Tanuki.
4: The next morning, Ji-chan went to check on his trap.
0: <laughs> I caught you, Tanuki, huh? trying to steal my chickens. Huh? <laughs> no more mischief for you. Huh? I will take you back to the house where we can keep an eye on you. Oh, Ugh. Oh, a Tanuki, uh, you have to go on a diet, Tanuki. Uh, Atkinson for you.
4: Oh, Maybe South Beach. Huh. Ji chan, grandfather, took Tanuki up to the house and left him in Obachan's grandmother's care while he went out to tend the fields. But Obachan was busy. It was close to New Year's Day and she was making mochi. She was putting hot, sticky rice into an usu or mortar adding a little water, and then turning the mochi, then picking up a a kine, a heavy wooden mallet, and bringing it down onto the mixture. She then would put the mallet down and start all over again. Oh, it was hard work! Tanuki looked out through the bars of his cage. Uh, uh, Bachan,
0: Bachan, uh, uh, that kine looks heavy. Uh, uh, I can help you. Uh, Let me out of this cage, and uh, let me help you with... The mochi.
5: Hi, arigato gozaimasu Tanuki. Ah oh, yes, thank you Tanuki. I-, I could use some help.
4: And Obachan, grandmother, let Tanuki out of his cage and bent down to add water and to turn the mochi. Tanuki picked up the kine, the wooden mallet,
5: but instead of bringing it down onto the mochi, he brought it down on the top of Obachan's head. Oh, Itai Itai It hurts! It hurts! Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ah, ah, ah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and Tanoki ran away to the mountain and disappeared into the forest. The next day, down the mountain, came Usagi, the white rabbit. He was Tanuki's best friend. But when he had heard what Tanuki had done, oh, he was angry at his friend and was filled with shame. He brought a big basket of fruit to the house of Chan and Obachan. Obachan, grandmother, was in the bed with a huge lump on her head. Oh, she was in pain. And Chan, grandfather, was doing his best to comfort her. Oh, Obachan,
5: I am so sorry. So very sorry to hear what Tanoki has done, what Tanoki has done uh, uh, and Obachan, a uh, grandmother, and Jichan, grandfather, uh, I will make sure that Tanoki is punished uh, th- th- that he is punished for what he has done, and that he will never, never again play another
4: trick on you. Osagi bowed deeply to Obachan and Jichan, and returned to the mountain. Now, at this time, people used to gather firewood and carry it home lashed to a wooden frame pack. Usagi, he tied firewood to two wooden packs and carried them to Tanuki's house. Now, Tanuki lived in a smelly old hole at the base of a tall pine tree. Usagi set the packs down and began to eat chestnuts outside of Tanuki's house. Oh these are so good oh so good after a while, tanuki poked his head out of his hold
0: Oi, uh, usagi uh what are you eating
5: oh oh chestnuts oh they are so good, so good
0: uh usagi uh uh may i may I have uh some chestnuts i I am so hungry oh Oh, Of course, of course.
5: Uh, you may have some chestnuts if you help me carry the wood back to
0: my house. Uh, of course, of course. Uh, I will help you. Uh, I am very
4: hungry. And Tanuki put on one of the wooden packs whoop, and headed off. The two began going up a slope with Tanuki in the lead. Usagi then pulled out his flint and steel and began striking sparks into the wood. On Tanuki's back. Kachi-kachi. Kachi-kachi.
0: Uh, uh, what is that sound? Uh, it sounds like, uh, kachi-kachi. 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 Uh, uh, uh,
5: that is because uh, this mountain is called uh, Kachi-kachi-sama, or Kachi-kachi Mountain.
0: Oh, wakarimasu.
4: Huh, I understand. The friends continued up the slope and down the other side, and by the time they reached the next slope, the fire had caught and was now beginning to burn. Crackle, crackle. Crackle, crackle.
0: Uh, Usagi, uh what is that sound? It sounds like, uh, crackle, crackle.
5: Uh, that is because this mountain is called, um, uh, Crackle, crackle, summer, or Crackle, crackle, mountain.
0: Oh, I understand. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, what's that smell? Oh, <laughs> smoke. Someone is cooking something. Huh? Oh, oh,
5: it's me, it's me. Oh, Help, help, Usagi. Uh, I am on fire. Uh, what should I do? Oh, Tanuki, Tanuki. Uh, uh, you must jump into the water to put out the fire. Uh, to put out the fire. Oh, Usagi, Oh, oh where is the water?
4: In the river. Down in the valley, down in the valley. And so Tanoki began running down the trail, from the mountain down into the valley, leaving behind a huge trail of black smoke as the fire burned on the wood on his back. Ah! <sighs>
0: ah! <sighs> ah!
4: <sighs> ah! 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 it was a while before Tanuki felt better. But Usagi, ah, he did not feel that his friend had been punished enough. So he built two boats and left them on the beach and went to find his friend.
5: Oh, Tanuki, Tanuki, it's such a beautiful day. Uh, how would you like to have some fish, uh, some fish for dinner?
0: Oh, uh, Usagi, uh, I would love to have some fish for dinner, but uh, I do not have a boat.
5: Oh, do not worry, my friend, do not worry. I have built two boats for us, down on the beach, down on the beach.
0: Oh, my friend, uh, uh, I am very hungry. Uh, uh, Let us go get some fish.
4: So the two friends made their way down to the beach.
5: Ah, Tanuki. Ah, tanuki, uh, I am light, uh, and I should uh, take a boat that's built out of lighter material, such as uh, wood. Ah, but you, my friend, you are heavy. Oh, so very heavy. Uh, you need to be in a boat that's built of heavy material, such as as mud. Such as mud?
0: Ah, oh, yes, it is true. I am very heavy, but uh, I will take the boat made of a uh, dried
4: mud.
5: Ah, my friend, ah, my friend, Uh, uh, let us see, let us see who can catch the
4: first fish, Uh, who can catch the first fish. And so the two friends pushed their boats out into the bay. Now you all know what happens to mud, even dried mud, when it touches the water. That's right. It dissolves and falls apart. And what do you think happened to Tanuki's boat? That's right. Ah, ah, I'm
0: going to beat you, Usagi. Ah, ah, I'm going to beat you. Ah, ah. Uh, what's this? Ah, 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 a little water. Ah, ah, ah. I can just almost taste the fish now. Ah, ah. Oh, oh. oh, lots of water. Oh, oh. Uh, help, help,
5: Usagi. Ah, ah, I'm sinking. Oh, Tanuki. Oh, Tanuki. You've been a very bad Tanuki. Uh, you must promise to apologize, uh, to apologize to Obachan for hitting her on the head. Uh, uh, I promise! Uh, I promise! And Tanuki, uh, you must promise, uh, you must promise never to play another trick on oba or Jichan again.
6: Uh,
5: I promise! Uh, I promise! Tanuki, uh, Tanuki, uh, do you swear, Tanuki? Uh, do you swear? Uh, I, I, I swear! I swear!
4: Usagi then reached out with his paddle and saved his friend, pulling him into his wooden boat. He then rowed them back to shore and walked his dripping friend to Obachan and Ji-chan's farm. Uh
0: Obachan, uh, I am sorry for hitting you on the head with the kine, the, with the wooden hammer. Uh I am sorry and I apologize. Uh, and, and Obachan and, and Ji-chan, uh, I am also sorry for playing such so many so many tricks upon you. Ah uh, I, I will not do it again. Uh, please
4: uh, forgive me. And Obachan looked at the dripping wet Tanuki and dried him off with a towel. And from that time on, Tanuki the badger, Usagi the white rabbit, Obachan grandmother and Jichan grandfather all became very good friends and lived long and happy lives. And Tanuki never played another trick on a Ba-chan or jichan again.
3: The sonorous voice of Alton Chung from a collection called The Spider Weavers and Other Tales from Asia. That was the man who could make the trees blossom. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more on the Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne
7: you're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
6: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
3: It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Apple Seed. Before the break, you heard The Man Who Could Make the Trees Blossom, a story from Alton Chung, uh, a story that comes from a collection of stories called The Spider Weaver and Other Tales. And looking forward now, we've got a story called Buck Ain't No Ordinary Dog from the great West Virginia tall tale teller Bill Lepp, who made a name for himself as a storyteller, winning multiple titles in the West Virginia Liars contest. This story will introduce you to a frequent flyer among Bill's tall tale characters. We're talking about the wonderful dog, Buck. Here's Bill Lepp on the Appleseed.
2: Buck ain't no ordinary dog. I have a dog and my dog's name is Buck, but Buck ain't no ordinary dog. What you got to understand about Buck is that his mother was a German shepherd, but his daddy was a prolific and extremely determined Bassett hound. And while Buck inherited his mother's good looks, he got his daddy's legs in the bargain. So he looks just like a German shepherd that swallowed a Ford Fairlane. He's about a dog and a half long, but he's only about a half a dog tall, but what that dog lacks in good looks, he makes up for in nasal prowess. In fact, when it comes to smelling things, that dog is sort of a canine idiot savant. He can smell a skeleton in a closet three years old, and consequently he's not allowed in the White House. I can hold down the plate of eggs I had for breakfast. That dog will sniff them, run out to the hen house, and find me the chicken that laid them. One time I let him smell one of those spicy chicken wings... Half an hour later, he was back in my living room with a bottle of Tabasco and a buffalo. Well, I knew with a nose like that, that dog was bound to be one of the greatest hunting dogs that ever lived. And the only thing keeping Buck from being a great hunting dog was the fact that he was just a little bit gun shy. Every time a gun would go off, he'd run and hide somewhere. So I knew I was going to have to cure him of that before he was any good. And i tried all sorts of passive measures to cure that dog of his gun shyness. He and I would sit up all night long reading field and stream articles to each other, and then we'd watch hunting videos on the VCR until we fell asleep, but none of that was working. So I realized I was going to have to take more drastic measures. Now this would have been April a few years ago. We were thick in the middle of that cold spell, it was 15 degrees outside, I had the day off work, and I figured it was the perfect day to cure Buck of his gun shyness. So here's what i done. I took a piece of cardboard and I drew a target on it. I laid that on the compost pile out in the backyard. I went inside where Buck Dog was sound asleep in front of the fireplace, and I could tell from the smile on his snout that he was dreaming about beautiful dogs on short little legs. But I woke him up and I took a rope and I tied that rope from his collar to my belt loop. I got my trusty thirty thirty rifle and one bullet. We went outside, and I held that bullet down there where Buck Dog could see it. He looked at it a couple of times, and when he was ready, he gave me a nod. While well, I loaded that bullet up into my rifle, I took aim on that target, and blammo, I fired. Well, now, as per usual... I had failed to consider the full ramifications of my actions. You see, I can't tell you exactly what Buck was thinking, but as near as I can figure, he thought he was supposed to track that bullet, because no sooner did it leave the end of my gun than he was after it. And I don't mean he was running after it. I mean he was flying after it, chasing that bullet through thin air. And when he got to the end of that rope tied from his collar to my belt loop, that rope snapped taut, pulled me out of my boots, I dropped my rifle, and I was flying right behind him. Well, now Buck Dog chased that bullet right through the hole in the middle of that piece of cardboard, and then he drug me head first through that pile of dung. But anyway, that bullet left that compost pile and went flying off into the woods, and every time it ricocheted off a rock or glanced off a tree, Buck Dog was there. As we were going through the woods, a big old branch reached out and it just tore my shirt and jacket right off me. Well, Buck Dog followed that bullet all the way down to the railroad tracks. Now, of course, that would be Weirton's world famous steel fashioned into next railroad tracks, running clear from Cowan to Grafton via Burnsville, Buck Cannon, Carrollton, and Philippi. And it just so happened that just then, a six-engine, 168-car CSNEX monster train loaded down with 19,364 tons of pure West Virginia bituminous coal was rolling by. And that bullet slammed right into the side of one of those coal cars. Well, when Buck saw that, well, the buck stopped there. But I passed the buck. I went flying right by him, and when I did, that rope tied from his collar to my belt loop snapped tight one more time, and this time it just ripped my blue jeans right off me. When I hit the side of that train, I was screaming. Partly out of fear, but mostly because, like I say, it was 15 degrees outside, and suddenly I wasn't wearing nothing but my boxer shorts. Now, because I was screaming, my tongue was sticking out of my mouth, And because my tongue was sticking out of my mouth, it was the first thing to hit the side of that train. Now, I don't know if you've ever touched your tongue to a piece of cold metal in the dead of winter before, but I suddenly found myself froze to the side of that train like scandal to a politician. I had my feet under me, and I was kind of running alongside the train the best I could, but in my bare feet on that gravel, it didn't take too long before I lost my balance. Well, my feet kind of flew up behind me. My right arm was flapping in the wind, and I had my left hand on my boxer shorts because it occurred to me there were a lot worse things than my tongue to have froze to the side of that train. But my mouth was wide open. That train was making about 20 miles an hour, and the wind was blowing in. It was taking all my saliva, washing it around my uvula, over my cheek, across my shoulder, and down my arm— Until before I knew what was happening, there was a 50-foot wing of frozen drool sticking perpendicular from the right side of that train. Well, now the wind started to catch up underneath that wing pretty good. And I saw the wheels on the right side of that train starting to lift up off the track ever so easy. We topped a hill and started down. That train started going 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 miles an hour, and I guess the lift and the drag and the rest of that aeronautical mumbo-jumbo must have been just right, because all of a sudden, that train lifted off. If there had been anybody with me, they'd have certainly called us the wrong brothers. Now, I'd never flown before, so I thought I'd see what I could do. I took that train straight up stalled out those engines, went into an inverted dive, pulled out of that into a loop-de-loo, and then I wrote my wife's name in the smoke real pretty, like you see them daredevil pilots do. But then I started to get just a little bit nervous, because I figured the FAA and the CSNX police were going to be wondering what I was doing flying that train around the sky. So I figured the best thing I could do would be to take her back in. Well, I straightened that train out, I reconnoitered the tracks beneath me, and I headed in. But I got about five feet above those tracks, I started to get just a little bit nervous, because, like I say, I'd never flown before. I'd certainly never landed a train before, and the one I was about to land only had one wing, and the one wing it did have was iced over. But I just started saying to myself, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And I laid that train down just as pretty as you please, and right away I went to feeling proud. And I think y'all probably know what the good book says about pride. Pride cometh before the fall, and folks, this is where the real trouble started. Because you see, I looked up just in time to see that train going into a tunnel and that tunnel was built just wide enough for that train, and I was sticking out just far enough to the right side that my head collided directly with the rock face of that mountain. Well, I came to a sudden and violent stop. That ice wing shattered off, but that train was still going, and my tongue was still frozen solid to the side of it. My tongue was getting pulled further and further out of my mouth, I could see that train slowing down under the strain, and I knew one of two things was bound to happen. Either that train was going to stop, or my tongue was going to get jerked right out of my mouth, and that's when I said, "Something hath got to give." Well, just then I heard a tremendous snap as my tongue, now stretched 40 feet long, tore itself free of the side of that train and came barreling down that tunnel like a giant rubber band bent for fury and slingshotted me and it straight up into the night sky. Well, now, it was raining and snowing and sleeting pretty good by this time, so it didn't take long for an eight-ton snowball to freeze solid on the tip of my 40-foot tongue. So there we were, the eight-ton snowball, the 40-foot tongue, and me and my boxer shorts flying through the sky— I reckon we looked something like a sucker on a stick. But before long, gravity caught up to us and we started heading down. It was kind of like parachuting, but it was kind of like having a hippopotamus for your parachute. We were headed straight for the ground at a pretty good clip when I noticed some power lines beneath me. Well, I managed to wiggle and twist myself just right... I dropped right in between those power lines, and just before I hit the ground, that eight-ton snowball on the tip of my 40-foot tongue hung up on those power lines and caught me. I was just hanging there about ten feet from the ground. A little old jaybird came and landed on my head. He and I were looking around, waiting for someone to come and get me down, or spring to come and thaw out my tongue. Either way, I figured I had more hang time than Michael Jordan on my hands. But it was about that time that we noticed a black bear coming out of his cave. Now, he was lean and hungry after a long winter's hibernation, and I could tell he was looking for something to eat. And when he looked up and saw me in my boxer shorts with that jaybird on my head hanging from those power lines, well, that bear just smiled. Near as I can figure, he thought we were some sort of X-rated piñata sent straight from heaven. And you're not going to believe this. But that bear reached into the hollow of a tree and pulled out an aluminum ladder and a baseball bat. He set that ladder up underneath me, and he commenced to climb it. He didn't stop until he got to that top step, that one that says clear as day, do not stand here, you might lose your balance. He took that baseball bat. He took a couple of practice swings. And just as he was coming around to deliver his death blow, I heard a rustling in the underbrush and looked up just in time to see Buck Dog, y'all remember Buck Dog from earlier in the story, come charging out of the underbrush. Of course, on his short little legs, it's more like overbrush. But Buck Dog quickly assessed the situation, and out of a deep sense of loyalty, he bound up that ladder and bit that bear right on the butt. Now when Buck bit that bear on the butt, that bear dropped that bat, it knocked him off balance, and he was rocking back and forth on top of that ladder, and just before he fell, he grabbed a hold of my ankles. Now, when that bear grabbed hold of my ankles with him on that aluminum ladder and me with the 40 foot tongue and the 8 ton snowball sitting on the power lines, well, that completed a 70,000 volt circuit that none of us had anticipated. The resulting explosion passed down my tongue, blew the feathers off that jaybird, passed through me, blew the fur off that bear, blew the hair off buck, and blew us all straight up into the sky one more time. So there we were. Let me recap for you, just in case you missed anything. The eight-ton snowball, the 40-foot tongue, that naked jaybird, I was now as naked as that jaybird. And then there was the buck-naked bear and the bear naked buck. And all of us were streaking through the night sky like a comet. Well, eventually everything got back to normal. We landed. That snowball melted. My tongue shrank. The bird got his feathers back. I got some clothes back. The bear got his fur back. Buck got his hair back. And if there's anything at all I learned from this situation, and it seems like the sort of thing I should have learned something from, I guess maybe sometimes it is best to just let sleeping dogs
1: lie. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Bill Lep with Buck Ain't No Ordinary Dog. Buck is an oft-used character among Bill's tall tales. And uh, we're glad to have been able to bring that story to you. For that, of course, at the top of the hour, you heard uh, a story from a collection of stories from Alton Chung called The Spider Weaver and Other Tales. A story called The Man Who Could Make the Trees Blossom. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with a story from Tim Lowry. A story called The Green Gore. That you're sure to enjoy. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
8: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
3: It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Coming up, The Green Gourd, a story from Tim Lowry. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways—from families passing them along, telling to telling; from the pages of great books; from radio and podcasts; through terrific songs and things we see on screen—and of course, the making and sharing of fantastic food is a rich bed for stories developed in families. I'm joined in the studio by Brenna Haddock. Brenna, it's great to have you back on the Appleseed.
8: Thanks so much for having me again. I'm so glad to be here. You
3: know, we've talked a little bit about some of the work that you do helping people to just form great relationships with food and life and you can find a lot of Brenna's work at dietproof.teachable.com. And of, of course there's there's there are training resources there, right? T- tell us a little bit about how that came to be. How your uh, from whence comes your interest in helping people in that way?
8: Right. Well, after 20 years of being a dieting disaster, as I like to call myself. How and, many of
3: us does that describe?
8: Right. Good heavens. Yeah, it describes <laughs> and, me for sure. And having a really difficult relationship with food, um, I quit dieting, cold turkey. <laughs> and I did not know what that path would look like for me. And it was a little bit scary and it was a little bit crazy. And as I traveled that path, I became a certified health coach. And I was able to, through quitting diets yeah. transformed my whole life and come to this really great place where I have this amazing relationship with food and with my life and lose the weight that I wanted to lose. And so um, through my formal training as a health coach now, yeah. I have created an online coaching program that people can go through and I can do private sessions or whatever. And you can find all the information there on the website that yeah. you mentioned. Um For people who are interested in having that kind of a transformation in their own lives.
3: ah, Listen, a a, a great relationship with food and life. Who's not in? I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) We want to – and and it's kind of – it might seem kind of odd then that we're going to have a conversation right now about pecan pie, right?
8: Right, except it fits right in with enjoying everything that you eat. (laughs) It sure does.
3: And uh, you you have a story about pecan pie in your life that's – That's a story that spans continents.
8: It does. It spans continents. Um, I lived with my family in Shanghai, China Hmm. for three years from 2010 to 2013. And as you might imagine, there was not a lot of pecan pie to be had (laughs) in Shanghai, China. So that's not really a a delicacy of choice over there. Right, right. I remember one summer we were home. Uh, to visit family uh, during the summertime. And my in-laws were going to take us to to dinner. My husband and I just visit. And so I was so excited. I said, let's go to Mimi's because they have this amazing chocolate pecan pie that I (laughs) loved and I (laughs) had been craving it. And so they said, of course. So we went to Mimi's, sat down. They had discontinued their pecan oh, no. pie. <laughs> I was horrified. It was all I was going to eat. I wasn't even going to have an entree. I was just going to have the pecan pie. And you
3: didn't say to the server, I have traveled thousands of miles.
8: I probably did. <laughs> I don't think it changed much. But <laughs> anyway, mm. I got their French onion soup, which is also amazing, but it was not pecan pie. Right, yeah. So I went to work trying to recreate Mimi's chocolate pecan oh, pie. Wow. Uh, so that I could have it with me whenever I wanted, wherever I was in the world, <laughs> I could have my chocolate pecan pie, and uh, got pretty dang close i I have to say so
3: you know I wonder wh- wh- you 're in China right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, and and I wonder if there are if there is a, enough of a difference in the commonly available ingredients, you know, in one place and another, that that it might have been more difficult for you in China to make a pecan pie than it is here?
8: Well, it was definitely more expensive. because <laughs> You'd have to go to the specialty import shops to get something as simple as, you know, um, some good high quality chocolate chips yeah, or something sure. like that. So yeah. um, yes, it's definitely easier and less expensive now that I'm back in America.
3: And is that pecan pie that you, you know, that the, the, the pecan pie that resulted in that quest, right? Mm-hmm. That's a pecan pie that you make often now.
8: That's a pecan pie that I do make, that I do make now and we love it.
3: <laughs> so Mimi's your loss is the is the haddock family's gain absolutely right? <laughs> can we put a recipe for this pecan pie on the Appleseed website
8: absolutely
3: oh we're gonna do that we're gonna do that you know you can find us at byuradio.org slash appleseed if you go there you'll find not only an archive filled with hundreds of episodes of the show and thousands of stories but uh, of course you'll also find uh, uh, this recipe for pecan pie which we're super excited to post there on the website we hope that you join us there there are lots of ways to take the show with you on your mobile device to listen to a great story wherever you are wherever you might need one even if it be china
8: right right
3: (laughs) (laughs) well pecan pie my mouth is kind of watering a little bit at this moment as it tends to do when you visit us in the studio so thanks a lot
8: Thank you so much again. I'm glad to be here.
3: <laughs> you can, of course, again, find uh, Brenna Haddock's work at dietproof.teachable.com for a great relationship with food and with life. Uh, I'm Sam Payne. And what a pleasure, Brenna, to have had you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Through the books that we read, the films that we see, and of course the tales that we tell around the campfire or the kitchen table. And the food that we eat can make for great stories as well. And it was a pleasure to chat with Brynna Haddock. And now I'm hungry for pecan pie. Tim Lowry coming up with The Green Gourd. This is a story about what happens when an old woman picks the green gourd off the vine, even though she knows she's not supposed to. And as you listen, keep your eyes peeled for, for Familiar storybook characters. This is The Green Gourd from Tim Lowry here on The Appleseed.
1: There's this old woman had her a dipping gourd. Y'all know what a dipping gourd is? Dipping gourd's a squash. You know what a pumpkin is. Pumpkin's a squash, big old round orange thing. Dipping gourd is grain until they dry out and then they turn brown. They got a long, skinny neck and a fat bottom, kind of like a girl I knowed once, long, skinny neck and fat bottom. You cut them in half, and they make you a big dipping gourd like you can dip water with. Anyway, there's this old woman. She had her a dipping gourd. She's out working in the garden. She got thirsty. She thought she'd go down the creek and get her a drink. She dropped her gourd on a big old flat rock and busted it all to pieces. She said, well, look up there. I done broke my gourd. I need me another Well, she had her a gourd vine growing along the fence. There's all kind of green gourds hanging on it, but you ain't never supposed to pick a green gourd off in the vine on account that thing'll witch you. She said, that don't make no never mind to me, and she yanked a green gourd off, took it in the house, set it up on the shelf above the fireplace to dry out. Well, that night, she sat down in front of the fire, and as soon as she sat down, that gourd, on account it was witched, it just jumped right off the shelf above the fireplace and landed in the floor. She picked it up, set it back up there on the shelf. It jumped right back down again. She said, now look, you got to stay where I put you. She picked that gourd up, set it up there on the shelf. On account of his witch, it hopped right back in the floor. She said, oh, you're making me mad. She retched over. She's going to grab that gourd by the neck and give it a good shaking. But on account of his witch, it jumped up and started whomping her in the backside. That old gourd beat her right out the door. She went down the road, a hollering, oh, 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 oh. She run down to Mr. Groundhog's house. She busted through the front door of Mr. Groundhog's house, and it startled him some. He said, oh, <laughs> hello, Granny. <laughs> you scared me <laughs> for a minute there. <laughs> I thought I'd seen my shatter. <laughs> Sit down. We'll make some sassy frass tea. She said, no, I ain't got time for sassy frass tea. There's a gourd that's witched me. It's a-beat me in my backside. I've got to get shed of it. That little old groundhog, he said, oh, <laughs> hunker down behind the door and hide good. And <laughs> when that gourd comes in, I'll womp it for you. So that groundhog, he got ready. Did you know that a groundhog is also called a whistle pig? And folks up north, they call them woodchucks. You know where I learned that? In a book in the library. Well, that gourd come through the door and hit that old groundhog in the top of the head and whomped him in the ribs and smashed him on the foot. Wham! Wham! Oh! Ow! Ow! (laughs) And then it jumped around behind the door and started beating on that old granny and chased her off down the road. She run down to Mr. Fox's house. She busted through the door of Mr. Fox's house. Mr. Fox said, Oh, hello, granny. Have you been making some of those gingerbread men cookies I like so good? She said, oh, no, I don't. I, I ain't had no time to bake gingerbread cookies. There's a green gourd it's witch me. It's a beating me in my backside. I've got to get shed of it. The fox said, oh, hunker down behind the door. When that gourd comes in, I'll smash it for you. So that fox, he got ready. Did you know a fox can climb a tree like a cat? Yeah, they can. You know where I learned that? In a book in a library. Well, that old gourd come through the door and whapped that old fox right on the nose. He said, oh, 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 and then it jumped behind the door and started beating on that granny woman and chased her off down the road. She run to a bobcat's house. She busted through the front door of the bobcat's house, and he said, wow, granny woman, what you doing round here? She said, there's a green gourd that's witch me. I got to get shed of it. I'll hunker down behind the door, and when it comes in, I'll scratch it all to pieces. That old bobcat got ready to scratch up that gourd. You know they call a bobcat Bob on account of he's got a little short, stumpy tail like it's been cut off. You know where I learned that? In a book in the library. That guard come in, hit that old cat on the head, and then it started beating on that granny woman. Chased her off down the road. Oh, 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 oh! She run to a big old wolf's house. She busted through the front door, and the wolf said, "Well, hello, granny." He started licking his lips and said, I remember you from some of them other books in the library. Did you come for dinner? And she said, oh, no, no, I didn't come for dinner. There's a green gourd witch me. It's a beat me in my backside. i got to get shed of it. The big old wolf, he said, oh, get down behind the door. When it comes in, I'll smash it for you. That gourd jumped across the door, whapped that old wolf in the front feet. And he jumped up on his hind legs. Oh, he was a dancing a jig. Did you know the jig is the national dance of Ireland? You know where I learned that? In a book, in a library. And that gourd started beating on that old woman. She run down the road. She run to a big old bear's house. She busted through the door and the bear said, Well, hello, Granny. What can I do for you? She said, There's a guard that switched me. It's a beating me in my backside. i got go get shed out of it. I'm going to hide behind your door. And when the guard comes in, smash it for me. And the bear said, No, no. The gourd will be expecting you to hide there. Jump in the bed. So the granny, she jumped up in the bed and she said, Ooh, this bed's too hard. She jumped in another bed and said, Oh, this bed's too soft. She got in a third and said, Oh, this one's just right. She pulled the kivers up overhead to hide, and the bear hunkered down behind the door. When the bear hunkered down behind the door, that gourd jumped across the door, and the bear jumped out and sat down on the gourd and squashed it all to pieces. And then the granny jumped out of the bed and she took a broom and dustpan, swept up all that gourd and throwed it in the fire and burned it up. She said, thank you, Mr. Bear. You a kind neighbor to help me like that. Is there anything I could do for you? And that bear, he said, I sure would like to have a big tub of honey I could use to sweeten up my porridge. She said, ''Oh, I can get you some honey, honey. Come on.'' They started back up the holler road. They went past the wolf's house. She said, ''Mr. Wolf, I'm sorry you got whapped with that gourd. You a good neighbor. Is there anything I could do to help you?'' And the wolf, he said, ''I'd like to have three little pigs I could eat for my supper.'' She said, ''Oh, I can get you some pigs. Come on.'' She took the bear and the wolf past the wildcat's house. And that old wildcat, he had a poultice on his head where that gourd had hit him. She said, Mr. Wildcat, I'm sorry you got hit with that gourd. you a good neighbor. Is there anything I can do to help you? And that old wildcat, his name was Bob, you remember? He said, well, chickens. She said, oh, I'll get you some chickens. Come on. They went past the fox's house. He wanted him Two fat ducks, he said he'd wring their necks for his supper. And then when they passed the groundhog's house, oh, Lord, you should have seen that groundhog. He caught that guard when it had its full strength. He had a poultice on his head. He had rags wrapped all around his ribs. He had his foot wrapped up, had dumped liniment all over himself. He looked aside. And that granny woman said, Mr. Groundhog, you a good feller. Is there anything I can do to help you because I'm your neighbor? And he said, oh, uh, <laughs> I'd like to have me a <laughs> sack of turnips. <laughs> she said, oh, I can get you a sack of turnips. Come on. She took all them critters up to the top of a mountain. There's a big mountain meadow up there. There's a feller who had a farm on that place. She said, this old farmer lives up here. He's old stingy gut. He ain't never learned how to help nobody. He don't share nothing, but he's off to town to trade. And I'm going to let y'all go on his farm, get anything you want. And all them critters, they said, no, no, we can't go on his farm. He's got a big old hound dog. It'll come after us. She said, oh, you ain't got to worry about that. She stuck her fingers in her mouth and whistled like a man. You know where that old woman learned how to stick her fingers in her mouth and whistle like a man? Nah, you got to Google that. After she whistled like a man, that big old hound dog come a running out. and She lifted up the fence rail, and when that hound dog tried to squeeze under, she dropped the rail right on his head. <laughs> that pinned him down. She said, he ain't going nowhere. Go get what you want. And all them critters run on that farm, and here they come back with all the loot. That bear, he was lugging a big tub of honey he had robbed from the bee gums. That wolf had three little shots tucked up underneath his arms. That bobcat come by, he had something flopping by the feet, looked like a little red hen. He stopped long enough to say, <laughs> chicken. And then that fox come with two fat ducks he had wrung by the neck. Here come that groundhog, dragging a sack of turnips three times the size he was. They all stopped off at the library and checked out cookbooks and went home and fried that stuff up in a pound of butter. And that was the end of that.
3: Tim Lowry with The Green Gourd. Have you ever planted gourds or had a garden of any kind? If you have then you know it's a lot of work. you got to plant the seeds in the right places at the right depths during the right seasons. You have to water it, weed it, so many other things. But how much harder would it be if the things you were growing in your garden started to fight with each other? That's the problem the Creator faces in this story from Heather Forest. It's called The Garden, a musical tale about how humans came to be. Think about times when you've had to learn to cooperate with others as we listen to Heather Forest and the garden here on the apple seed
6: long before the time of the beginning the creator of the world planted a garden long before the time of the beginning, the creator of the world planted a garden, and in that garden, in that garden, in that garden, in that garden grew, hands do to do to do do a head do to do to do do feet do to do to do do shoulders do to do to do to all the different parts They were growing there in that garden there were eyes do do to do to do to do, our nose do do to do to do do, mouth do do to do to do, ears do do to do to do do, with well, all the different parts of the body they were growing. There in that garden there were legs do, hands to doo-doo, hairs do to toes do, fingers back to mouth do to nose, and a great big stomach. Yeah. The creator of the world was pleased with all those parts that were growing there in the garden and so decided it was a good time to leave. But before departing, made just one small request of all those parts that were growing there, and that was... All that I ask of you... Is to live in peace and harmony Now each and every single part agreed However, no sooner was the creator out of sight Eyes saw something The hands wanted Mouth started talking behind the back Tongue was so sharp cut the heart arm elbowed a rib and got a cold shoulder feet started stepping on each other's toes nose started poking around where it had no business and ears overheard a thing or two well before you could say war all the different parts of the body, they were fighting there in that garden. All the different parts of the body, they were fighting there in that garden. Legs do hands to hairs to, to toes to fingers back to mouth to, to nose. The creator of the world heard the commotion in the distance and came right back to the garden to find out who started the whole thing, asking each part, Individually. Well, said the creator of the world, since you can't seem to live together in peace and harmony without a little help, I'm going to make it so that you have to cooperate and share in order to survive. I'm going to stick you together for all times into one big family. And I'm going to call that family a human being. And that's just what happened. The creator of the world went about the whole garden, collecting, harvesting all the parts, till there was a huge pile of pieces with which to create. And then the creator of the world proceeded to make the very first person. The feet were on the bottom and the legs above that, the hips, the torso, the shoulders, the neck, the head, the arms hung down with the hands dangling at the bottom. And everything was there and everything had a place. What you need now, said the creator of the world, is a group project. Something to do. Something that will motivate this creature every day. Hmm. I have it. Feed the stomach. And to this day, mouth is opening and closing for the stomach. Teeth are cutting for it. Tongue is tasting for it. Nose is smelling for it, eyes are looking after game in the brush hands are digging in the ground planting seeds and harvesting for the stomach feet are walking after this and that all the parts of the body work together to serve the stomach and they liked it they enjoyed cooperating and sharing in order to survive so much that it became a way of life And if even one small part didn't feel well, sometimes the whole body would just lie down and wait till that one part felt better. Why, the human being was such a fine idea. The creator of the world made a whole bunch of them. Nowadays, they come in five colors. Red, yellow, white, black, brown And two distinct styles When all those little creatures were gathered in the garden The creator of the world said I have just one last thing to say to you all Before leaving this garden forever And that is Just like the parts of the body work together as a living whole, people of the earth can live together with peace and harmony as their goal. Peace and harmony as their goal, yeah.
3: The Garden, a story told for you by Heather Forrest. Heather's got a real knack for musical storytelling. It's made her a favorite on storytelling stages all over the country for decades and decades. And another favorite musical storyteller of ours is Willie Claflin, and we'll be enjoying a song from him right now in classic Willie Claflin fashion. It's a comical song about leaving town called So Long, It's Been Good to Know You. What a fitting way to conclude our episode today. Not gonna say goodbye with this, just farewell until the next episode of The Apple Scene, here's Willie.
7: I'll let Woody close. Well, a dust storm hit. It hit us like thunder. Dusted us over. Dusted us under. It got so black that it blacked out the sun and home. All of the people did run singing So long, it's been good to know you So long, it's been good to know you So long, it's been good to know you This dusty old dust is getting my home And I gotta be drifting along Well, the telephone rang it jumped off the wall It was the preacher Making his call He said, my friends This may be the end It's your last chance At salvation from sin Singing so long It's been good to know you So long It's been good to know you So long It's been good to know you This dusty old dust is a-getting my home And I gotta be drifting along Well, the church it was crowded The church, it was packed Pews were all jammed from the front to the back But the preacher did not read a word of his text He folded his specs Took up a collection Said, so long It's been good to know you So long It's been good to know you So long It's been good to know you This dusty old dust Is a-getting my home And I gotta be drifting along So long, Gamble Rogers So long, aliens Good night, moose Good night, mush Good night, old lady Whispering hush So long, Jackie so long JJ, so long Doc, so long Brother Blue, we are thinking of you. So long, it's been good to know you, so long, it's been good to know you. So long, ah, it's been good to know you, this dusty old dust is getting my home. To be drifting along drift off to sleep well my good friends Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a
2: lot.
3: Great fun with Willie Claflin and so long it's been good to know you here on the Appleseed. That's gonna do it for us today. It's been an hour filled with stories like The Garden by Heather Forrest and The Green Gourd by Tim Lowry. You heard a little tall tale telling from Bill Lepp and Buck Ain't No Ordinary Dog. And of course, at the top of the hour, you heard The Man Who Could Make the Trees Blossom, a story from Alton Chung, his sonorous voice kicking off an hour. Of great stories. Again, we're always happy when you bring these stories into your home and into your heart. And we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark thoughts and memories for you that you can share with the people that you love as stories around the living room or around the kitchen table. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. Today's hour was written by Alyssa Mingorance. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. Our audio engineer is Carly Robison. I'm Sam Payne, and you can find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling The Appleseed Podcast. Subscribe for something new just about every day from the show, and we'll see you next time on The Appleseed.
8: Thanks for joining us for an hour
6: of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.